Life Audio. Hey, Dr. Bill Sinyard here with Gospel Rant. Here's where we are in the central movement of the song. The queen is betrothed to the king, meaning they're married officially, uh, they're husband and wife. He has come for her to complete the marriage process at a grand marriage procession. And arguably, twice she has left him hanging at the altar in an ancient Mideastern context. She wasn't ready when he came for her. So something is wrong in her head, in her heart. Well, now the wedding celebration has at last begun. He's toasted her publicly with an amazing worship poem, a wasp in front of all the esteemed guests and family and dignitaries in the land, and told her again publicly that in his eyes, in his assessment, she is so beautiful. She is beginning to believe it. But in just moments, in just minutes, her past mistakes, her dark secrets are going to be publicly exposed, which could lead to an immediate divorce. Well, that's embarrassing and immense public shame for her and her family and maybe even her death. Well, now what? And what difference does this 2,500-year-old ancient Hebrew poetry make in my life, your life today? Well, we'll see. This is a great place for a word from our sponsors. We will be right back. But look around you, your family, your faith, they're not in the way. They are the way. From the creators of Jesus Revolution comes the incredible true story. It's going to be dangerous and scary and giving up. It's not an option. The story of one family's journey from down under to center stage. Unsung Hero, a for King and Country film starring Candace Cameron Bure and Terry O'Quinn. In theaters now. Visit unsunghero.movie to learn more. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. So this is interesting. Per Reader's Digest, here are some actual stories of reasons some people got divorced. A 34-year-old man filed for divorce from his 28-year-old bride just days after their wedding, after he saw her without makeup. Oh, my. Apparently, the man felt that his wife had deceived him with cosmetics, including fake eyelashes, of course, The deception was discovered when the two went to the beach together and dipped in the ocean, and the the ocean water washed away her makeup. Well, there you go. Uh, Here's another. Four months after their 1994 wedding, a New York man secretly divorced his wife in the Dominican Republic without her knowing it. She didn't find out for another 22 years. Her husband said it was his way of protecting his assets, and she says it's an attempt to rob her of assets. She is now officially divorcing him in the United States. Here's one last one. Uh, This is an Asian couple who had been married for six years. They were watching the movie Frozen. I'm not kidding you. And uh, after watching it, the husband made the mistake of asking his wife, did you really think that was good? (laughs) Well, apparently she did. And this fact that he could even ask that question made her wonder what sort of person he was 
and uh, she just couldn't let it go, so to speak. And moral, husbands, don't mess with Disney movies. But that's not what's happening here in the Song of Songs. No, no, this is far more serious. Well, I guess that's serious too. But the betrothed queen's deepest visceral fear is that because she is not a virgin, and remember the implication is that she was represented by her brothers as a virgin at the marriage, the betrothal contract. And so when she and the king consummate the marriage, there's not going to be any blood on the wedding sheet, the cloth, and she's going to be discovered to be, in that culture, impure and unclean and so divorceable according to the law. And in fact, Deuteronomy 22 says that she could be and should be stoned. And that's all that's in her head when she was betrothed and when the great groom procession came for her maybe all three times. And now in the middle of the wedding ceremony, just minutes from the time that the husband and the bride will disappear from the crowd and go into the chapa to consummate the marriage. So all of that's in her head. And recall, in the ancient Near East, there's two parts of the wedding process, the betrothal and the wedding ceremony itself. There's two cups. Remember that for the next show. The couple drink the first at the betrothal where they're legally married and the second at the wedding ceremony just before the yachud, the chapa. At the ceremony, the king proclaims his love for her in a uh, glorious public worship poem amidst a group of their closest guests and friends and dignitaries. And then the couple are whisked away to the marriage bed for the chapa. Uh, the yachud is the consummation. The chapa is the tent. And then after 10 minutes, <laughs> tops, said the uh, Jewish scribes, the groom comes out, holds up the wedding sheet, complete with blood, her blood on it, right? Her own hymen, uh, breaking, tearing, showing that she was a virgin. And then the rest of the celebration, including even more guests, come and in earnest, more wine, and it's just an amazing party celebrating the official union. But she knows that's not going to happen. This train is about to derail in, I mean, minutes. So what can she do? I mean, she's in this thing already too far, and the king is standing there at the wedding celebration, delivering a wildly romantic poem about her beauty and his love for her publicly. It's ancient Near East foreplay. She can only sit there and listen. But her thoughts are about the chapa and the shame that is going to rip up her life in just moments. Check out this quote about worship. When you're properly worshipped, you feel more confident in yourself than ever before because you see yourself the way your lover does. I mean, that's where the queen is, right? It's about deep respect, trust built up over time, genuine admiration, and a lingering sense of awe that's powerful enough to carry you through those times when you see each other at your worst. It's part of the image of God imprinted in your soul. The desire to be worshipped. Little W, right? Uh, and, and, and you may be more comfortable with synonyms instead of the word worship, so honored, appreciated, cherished. But biblically, the word is worshipped. It's part of your being. It's part of the reflection of God in you. You will not be satisfied until that happens. We all want it, subconsciously or consciously. The world has very little honor to give out. It's a zero-sum game with... Uh, just too little to spread around. And we were made with that internal desire for more honor than the world has to give. 
It hurts us a little to admit it, but don't we know this down deep? We want others to see our value, our worth, our significance, our attractiveness, uh, to be appreciated for who we really are beneath the mask, not just for what we do, but who we are. You know, we, we look for this reflected in their eyes when they see us, when we enter the room. And you can tell. Even babies can tell if they are liked and adored. Uh, partly, it's in the eyes of their caretaker, their mother, their father. Their mom's eyes dilate when they look at them in the face. And this is what we want from others. And most importantly, I want it from God. Child psychologist Yuri Bronfenbrenner said this. I think it captures it. I use it all the time. Every child, and by the way, every bride, every groom, every child needs at least one adult who is irrationally crazy about him or her. And that's exactly right. This is true for every bride, every queen. This is true for your relationship with God. We jones to know that he adores us as we are because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. God does adore us that much. And publicly, in the heavens, he's publicly proclaiming it. He's doing wasp, if you will, if we could only hear it. If only my midbrain would let me hear it, right? Uh, And and not be worried about all of the, the uglies and all my failures and all the shame. Then here is the pinnacle verse of the pinnacle movement of this greatest presentation of the gospel in the Old Testament. All beautiful, the king says to her, publicly in front of all the witnesses, all beautiful you are, my darling, there is no flaw in you. This is worship. I mean, little W, he sees no flaw, no scars, no past improprieties. I mean, her brain's going, what? In her shredded, cynical, beat-up brain, she can only think that he's deluded or ignorant or just doesn't want to see. You know, you don't know me, but in the context of the Bible... He is telling her something else, unique about his love in particular. His love will move him to pay for all of her past debts. Theologically, this is a wonderful picture of justification. She is vulnerable, exposed to him, to his penetrating, discerning eyes, and he sees only beauty and handsomeness and glory, worth, faithfulness, purity. No matter what anyone else sees, or even she sees... He sees only glory and worthiness. He's enthralled with her. In his eyes, she is definitely the queen and worthy. And she came impure. When he finds her, she's unworthy. The king does his best work with unworthy queens. Here's John Barclay. The Christ gift is the ultimate gift of God to the world to be given without regard to worth and in the absence of worth, an unconditioned or incongruous gift that did not match the worth of its recipients, but created it. That's what this king's love does. So why is it that we have such a hard time believing that this lover king really does worship us, me, see me as a person of worth? Because when it's all said and done, at some level, I don't worship me. I don't see my worth. And, you know, I get it from others, too. Others just have not treated me as a person of worth. I mean, not really. I know that I have warts and scars and disfigurements, emotionally, spiritual, physical. We have all at times turned away from the mirror, again, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. We have all felt ashamed or uncomfortable or uh, ducks out of place. 
I can acutely remember feeling that mirror moment as an adolescent, just feeling depressed like the ugly duckling, out of step, out of sync. I felt unattractive, undesirable, unlovable. I wondered if anybody would ever love me as me. Matter of fact, I just wondered who I was because I was wearing so many masks. But then the perfect one came, Jesus, the lover king. And he says in his eyes, as he's gazing at me or gazing at her or you, you're perfect. It's too good to be true. I get that. It doesn't compute. It's like running a PC-based program on a Mac. Some powerful reprogramming has to take place in my midbrain. I mean, no wonder people get uncomfortable when they really hear about the possibility, this aspect of the gospel. But we need to keep hammering that into our heads, our midbrains daily. Uh, The simple uncluttered gospel is so helpful this way. Well, look at the next verse. He is aware of her hesitancy. He can see it in her eyes. Maybe she seems distracted. Her eyes have glassed over. Listen to the sensitivity of the king because he discerns it's a hard thing for the queen to hear right now. Please don't pull away. Don't resist. Resist what? I mean, worship, of course. Or better, uh, sitting there and being worship, receiving worship. Shame both desires and can't handle such worship. Come to me from the places where you have hidden for so long. Descend from the cold crags of isolation. Those are dangerous places. They devour your soul. Well, to be with him, she must come down from the protective boundaries, the walls, the personal scary places, that, and, and entrust herself to him. And again, her midbrain is going to fight her the whole way. Remember the lattice from movement two? Why would she dare do that? I mean, after all, her record with males, with men, was not that good. Nothing has hurt her more than relationships. Come away from all of your fears and trust me. Rest in me. Just trust me. Wow. That's a gospel presentation to damaged goods. He's motivating her. What are your cold crags of isolation as you listen to this? Right? Look up. This is his invitation, not just to her, but to you today, right now, as as you listen to this show. All right, here's verse 9. Don't you see, with a mere glance of your eyes, you now hold my heart in your hands. You have heart-hearted me, my closest of friends, my queen bride. I can't find the right words to describe your love. It's beyond description. It's better than the, the best of wines. Your perfume is more wonderful than the most expensive imported spice. Your kiss is as sweet as honey, my beloved, like milk and honey. Your perfume that adorns your clothes reminds me of a spring in Lebanon. <laughs> He's pouring it on. You have stolen my heart, Liba Batini. It's a poetic, made-up word. In the root, the Hebrew word is lev, the heart. It's only used here, but here's the idea. The effect that the queen has had on the king is so huge that there is no normal word that's satisfactory, so he makes one up for her. She has heart-hearted him. She has grabbed his heart. She holds his heart in her hands. You've stolen my heart, maybe, right? The NIV goes that direction. Well, what did it take? A mere microsecond glance from her eyes. The lover king is stunned by her beauty and character. Wouldn't it be something to hear God say that to you? I mean, how would your brain respond to that? Would you believe it? But he is saying that to you. It's just that your shame and fears are preventing you from hearing it, right? Your midbrain. And me too, no judgment. 
All we need is that nanosecond glance from him. Verse 12. That's it. Yes, your fantastic garden, wild and wonderful, untouched, unspoiled, my best friend, my beloved queen. You are an untapped spring of life-giving water. Oop, flag, trigger. She is not an untapped spring. Uh, that's part of the problem. I imagine she triggered right then. You are an untapped spring of life-giving water, a sealed, unspoiled fountain, ready to be drunk. I right, get this. What does he mean when he describes her to her face publicly as a garden locked up, a spring enclosed? He is proclaiming her that he expects her to be a virgin and the consummation to go perfectly. But she knows that's not going to happen. In fact, her greatest fear is that the king in just a minute is going to finally see who she really is. All of her tragic past and he is going to be so disgusted he's going to publicly disgrace her and her family. Right. So what is she thinking about the king? I mean, is something up? Has he forgotten everything in the heat of the festivity? Is he mocking her? Uh, is he a doddering fool? Is he setting her up for this trial by witnesses? Well, he continues, verse 13. And what a magnificent garden you are, not lacking any choice fruit, an abundant orchard of the best pomegranates. Oh, yes, henna, nard, um, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon. Yes, every kind of incense tree, myrrh and aloes, all the finest imported spices. You are the most spectacular of all gardens ever seen. I can only imagine the unsealing of your unspoiled well. Wow. What an abundant stream, a continuous life-giving stream for me to drink from freely. Well, this is a fantastic fantasy garden. Nowhere on earth do all of these plants grow together. Even Martha Stewart couldn't grow them all together. I mean, outside. Notice that he stutters. It's so wonderful. Henna, nard, uh, nard, and saffron. He's like a love-struck adolescent. I mean, that's how much she affects him. Here's what one commentator said. Our lover is completely bowled over. He is a captive. He has been rendered weak and feeble by her beauty, overpowered by her loveliness, yet aroused and made strong by his every thought of her. Her caresses are more intoxicating than any wine. Her perfume is heady and sends him reeling. Whew. The queen can't take it anymore. Something happens in her brain, something miraculous. Instead of acting out, being rude and demanding like she did in movements three and five or, or running uh, to hide behind a lattice, movement two, or running to the city, movement three and five, or deflecting all the attention off of herself and putting it on him, movement one, she for some reason buys into the romance and throws herself into his arms. So now what? How is she going to handle the chapa? Will her fears take over? Or will she get caught up in her other feelings? Probably a good time for a commercial break, or maybe not a good time, but we need to do it anyway. We will be right back. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. How? 
everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So here's the Queen's response. So great. Awake north wind, come south wind, blow on me, on my garden, enhance the provocative smells of my perfumed body so that my lover's desire is even further heightened so that he is satiated with me. Come, my lover, come to me, your garden, freely eat, freely drink, taste the choice fruits and be fully satisfied. So surprisingly, she says, yes, (laughs) yeah. I'm all in. Let's go to the huppa. No boundaries. No hesitancies. I'm not sure where my fears went. I guess perfect love actually cast them out. I'm here in his adoring arms as I am, not as I should be right now. And if not now, when? So what's going on? They have opened the tent curtains of the huppa and they've entered into the chamber. She has thrown caution to the wind. She has... I mean, heroically buried her fears, maybe. She's caught up in the moment, the power of his love. And she enthusiastically gets it, at least for a moment, such beautiful, beautiful poetry. And she's thinking of him. Some would see this as kind of a male sexist uh, activity. I mean, calling her body uh, his garden or, or calling her body your garden from her point of view. But this is the pinnacle of intimacy the total giving away of all of you, and she lets go. The destructive walls of her lattice come down for just a moment, and she goes with him into the garden, into the huppa. Pregnant pause. What's going to happen? In the huppa, she's naked, she's exposed, her past dalliances and indiscretions and bad choices are laid before the, the great lover king. It's Legally, an act of a righteous man to expose her if she's not a virgin. It would be appropriate for him to rend his garment and cry out for all to to hear, I've been deceived, cursed be this woman. This is our core fear, the nature of our fear-based lattice, the fear of rejection. It would be horrific. But what does the great lover king say? What does he do? I have come into you, my most spectacular garden, my best of friends, my beloved queen. I am fully and completely satiated by you, my garden, my beloved. I have abundantly gathered my myrrh and incense to my heart's full content. I am not at all disappointed. I have freely dined at a royal banquet. I have devoured my honeycomb and honey. I have freely drunk my wine and have been fully satiated with my milk. I am not at all disappointed. You fully satisfy all of my greatest desires. (laughs) What? 
It's a public proclamation of the king. It's, whoa, baby, I'm, I'm fully satisfied. You are all that I've ever dreamed of, all that I've ever wanted. You're perfect. There's nothing lacking in you at all. You are more than worthy of my love. You are rightly the queen. <laughs> what? How could this be? I've got three options. One, there was no blood on the sheet, the marriage sheet, and the king's love was wonderfully indifferent to it. He was in love with her, as she is. There's such a theology among some where God's love is described as unconditional by nature. Uh, But this is not the case. Second option, maybe the love of the great lover king healed the queen's past. Poetically, maybe we are to understand that there was blood after all. Love is not indifferent. It heals. And the third option, and this is the one I go with, maybe, and I'm seeing the whole Bible as part of the context. It was Jesus's blood on the sheet. This is the theology that launched the Reformation and revivals over and over since. Jesus is the true great lover king who was disgraced and shamed publicly in her place so that she could be proclaimed the queen worthy of the king, right? Stuff substitutionary atonement, right? Mic drop moment. Amazing, right? Doesn't that make sense? Are you with me here? And we're not done with movement four, but I need to stop here, and I'm leaving you with your thoughts. If this were live, uh, if this was a Song of Songs weekend, a Kisses of God weekend, I could interact with you. I could pick your brain. I could get testimonies, and I have, and they're amazing. Uh, I, I think that's important, but I can't do that here. So it'd be great to get questions and feedback and disagreements and, and spiritual aha moments. By the way, send those to me, bill at gospel-app.com. I'll try to post the best of them. It's, it's a clear gospel presentation in poetry, ancient Mideastern poetry, 2,500 years old. So here's a question, though. When was the last time God's powerful love brought down your fear-based walls? And don't think physical sex, that's creepy and bad theology. But, but don't think that this is just some distant spiritual allegory either. Or that it's just about some human relationships, not your relationship with God. Think of a heavenly birth intimacy in your brain, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, that makes you actually feel loved by God. The oxytocin makes you feel bonded to God, that you're really his beloved bride, that that you're resting there, you as you are. We desperately need this because the world beats that out of us and makes us anxious. This is true worship in spirit and truth. The church seems to have become more of a lecture format all too often. And teaching is good, but we are people who long for relationship. Jesus died so that we would be one with God. Your midbrain is way too hesitant. So for that reason, I want to do the simple uncluttered gospel with you again. I want to anchor this good news with the power of the Spirit in your inner being, an all-out confrontation with your critical inner voice. So please say it along with me. Jesus followers, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart, as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? Simple. 
Good news. There is something that you can do, queen, and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you to make you know, experience, and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. John Calvin said that's the secret working of the Holy Spirit, that his prime goal this side of heaven is to make you actually feel that. When was the last time? And listen, you can, and I would encourage you to get the Simple Uncluttered Gospel in bookmark form. You can get it from the website, gospel-app.com, the podcast page, gospelrant.com. Purchase a bunch of them, hand them out. They're pretty inexpensive. Give them to family and friends and Bible study community groups. Uh, They will be grateful. Uh, One more show on Movement 4. What does it mean to us now, to you and me today? I'm still writing my updated book on the Song of Songs, but I have, have sort of shifted short term to, to, to finish a book on the overlooked and unappreciated women in the Old Testament. And as I've said, there's many of them, and I'm going to get their stories out. If you want to be on a list, sign up at bill at gospel-app.com. And I'm begging you to get the word out about these shows around Movement 4. It's life-changing, particularly for people who wonder if God is a disappointment to them or if they're just a disappointment. And that's most of us, consciously or subconsciously, zero to ten scale, right? And and no doubt the Spirit just brought somebody to mind, call them, send them a, a link, forward this, put it on your social media, uh, have coffee with them and tell them about it. It's really good stuff. Another favor, follow this podcast. So important. That encourages people to listen to the show. And and I've said it before, but here's how it works. If there were a thousand people who followed or even better commented and, and ranked this show, four stars, five stars, you might be surprised how many people will pay attention. Yeah? All right. And, and I'm going to post the best comments on my website. Thanks to Life Audio for their platform and support. Uh, we will finish Movement 4 next time. Take heart, child of God. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.